The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. In the words of a modern day prophet, uh, uh, I think his name's Robert Van Winkle, also known to you that know that. Yeah, some of you know, right? Vanilla Ice uh, speaks prophetically when it comes to God. He says, you got a problem? Yo? There we go. That's what we think. We got a problem? Go take it to God and God will solve it. And that's what happens here in this uh, story today. A very crazy, strange, but true Stories in our series over the summer here. You'll see up on the stage here, we have little, like little museum exhibits of, of different things that we're going to talk about this summer that will help us link into to these stories. But uh, I also need to tell you today here on Father's Day, uh, this is not a Father's Day sermon. I did one of those in the 20 History Church one time, and the board said never do that again. Uh, so th- the deal to here today is as we, we go through this and as we look at this story. When we gather together here at church, what we want to have happen all the time is you guys be inspired to have and get real good practical instruction. And then from time to time, there's some things that are more, a little more, hmm, a little tough and challenging. That's the deal today. Uh, so just know today, as you walk out today, this will not be walking out, believe it or not, I'm walking on air. Two of you understand that song from the 70s, yeah. Or Eddie Van Halen, jump, you know, woohoo! It won't be any of that. It won't be much of that today. This is more, hmm, some things to think about and wrestle with. Maybe not a lot of inspiration, and yet, if we do that, then when we get inspired for God, we're not. It's not just some fake thing we're we're cranking up. It's it's a real God we're talking about. So, what's happened here? It says they bring the Ark of the Covenant out onto the battlefield. Now, you'll see up here behind me, the keyboard rig is covering right now, a, a more life-size replica of it. It's buried, not that one yet. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, the, the Ark right here is just sitting here, uh, but we have a little small model of it here. Uh, if you saw Indiana Jones, uh, all those, some of those, that movie, this is a fairly accurate replica of what they think the Ark of God, the, the Ark of the Covenant, was all about. And you're going, what's it doing? It's supposed to be like in a sanctuary or an auditorium or a temple. What's it doing out on a battlefield? Glad you asked. First Samuel 4, we're going to read the first few verses here that give us the backstory on what the ark was doing out there in the first place. Since that time, Israel was at war with the Philistines. The Israelite army was camped near Ebenezer and the Philistines were at Aphek. Some quick things to understand about what we're talking about. Israel uh, has their little narrow stretch of land here. And the southwest border of Israel, to the south and west, is where the nation of Philistia was. It's, a, it's an ocean seafaring community. That's a lot of their economy and a lot of their religion and spirituality is re- revolved around the ocean and, and the sea. The Philistines attacked and defeated the army of Israel, killing 4,000 men. After the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camp, and the elders of Israel asked, why? Why? In, in, in your Bible, if you have your own Bible there with a pen or a pencil, something there, I have that why circled, bolded, filled out there. Why? Because we always do this, don't we? Whenever something bad happens, when I get a bad news, a news diagnosis about cancer or finances or people are going south in my life, the first thing I do is go, God, why? 
What are you doing here? Why? Why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? Because the Philistines are a mess. You could look at Israel and go, okay, Israel's making some compromises and not you know, making some bad decisions. The Philistines were a jacked up disaster. In comparison, uh, Israel was way, way better than them, and yet they're going, God, you told us to come in here and take this land, and now we got defeated? And 4,000 families will not have husbands and fathers and brothers coming home. Then they said, the box. That's the problem. Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it into battle with us, it will save us from our enemies. This is what happens. When we get into problems, we have God, who's the Ark of the Covenant, uh, is here. And we go, the God, that's the God of the box. Now, the truth is, God wasn't in the box. But the, the, if you read the, through the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy especially, it'll tell us that the priests would go into what they call the Holy of Holies one time a year, and the manifest presence of God would be there. We know that God is everywhere present all the time. This is a sense of there was the God, the glory of God was like hovering over here, over what called the mercy seat, over where these angels, these cherubs were enshrined there, just hovering there, and it was the presence of God was there. You think, man, we got the box. Let's go get the box. We need that to bring that out of the battlefield to have God's presence with us. Whenever there's a problem, yo, he'll solve it. Go get God out of the box. We need God to do that. And they had history on their side. They crossed the Jordan River. God parted the sea, that, that river before them, when the box went in the river first. They marched around Jericho for a week, carrying the box onto the battlefield, the Ark of the Covenant, and the walls on the seventh day flattened, and they didn't really have to fight a battle there. They thought, that's the problem. We need the box. And like Danny just said there, uh, they, they bring the box out there, and it freaks everybody out. Some things to understand here, what's going on, though, is for, for context in this, God's people had been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. The book of Exodus tells us that God leads them out of there. The Passover celebration and crossing the Red Sea, they defeat the Egyptian army. He says, go to the promised land. They eventually get there. They're in this promised land right now, but then they get there. They, it, it's a mess. They don't have a king or a governor or a president. Uh, it's a theocracy. And the book of Judges tells us that God says, I want you to be my people. But God's people do this all the time and think, hmm, we have a better way to do this. And so the book of Judges tells us, which is right before what happens here in Samuel, it's the context here, there was no really authority structure in Israel. Everybody just did whatever they felt like doing. Welcome to America in 2023. It's always, we always think, oh man, back in the old days it was better. No. It's always better. People just want to do what they want to do, follow their heart, just be true to yourself and all that <laughs> nonsense. And they do that, and it's, it spirals down. In the book of Judges, it's the first, there's like seven or eight different like cycles of where they go, man, we, we jack this up, and they get right with God, and so God turns things around for them, and things get good again, and then it gets bad again because they ignore God, and they do their own thing again. And every time it happens, it gets worse and worse and worse. Read the last part of Judges. It's like NC-17. It's not in rated R. It's like bizarre stuff going. And not in the surrounding nations that worship false gods. God's people are doing this kind of thing. In that structure, there is no king or governor or president. It's a theocracy, not a monarchy or, or democracy, which means that the highest authority in their land on the human level is 
the high priest, which is his name is Eli, he has two scoundrel sons, and he does nothing to discipline them. It says, do whatever they want, called Hophni and Phinehas. Uh, you can read about him in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, where it tells us that when people would bring their money or their lambs or their goats or whatever to sacrifice and give to support God's work, they went out and they, they got all the best stuff for themselves. They, they cheated. They stole what people brought in and they set up great houses and stuff for themselves. It says when they saw the cute hot girls there, you know what they did? Took them out one of the back rooms of the temple and hmm, at church. Not like outside and go cheat and run off somewhere. And they're just doing this. Oh, and everybody knows about it. Eli knows about it. He does nothing about it. And so all of a sudden they have this problem here on the battlefield trying to defeat the Philistines and 4,000 of them are dead, and they ask why. And instead of going, maybe there's something we have to get straight with us and God, they just go, rabbit foot theology. This is good luck charm theology. Go get the box, the magic box. He was there before us again. Boom, get the magic box out there. And so the ark comes out, like Danny just read for us, and the ark comes out, it says, that they're camped mile, it's a long way apart, across the valley apart. And it says that the Philistines heard that the ark is coming to camp, and all of a sudden, it says the ground started to shake. Not because the presence of God made the ground shake. The people of Israel are doing the, so give me a G, G, give me an O, O, give me a big fat D, God. And they're shaking, it's just rousing. If you've ever been to college football games uh, in the southeast, not here in the west, because... But in the southeast, those of you that grew up there, you know what that's like. It's, they're crazy right now. And the Philistines hear it and go, oh, no, we remember that the box, they have the Ark of the Covenant, the God's box there. What's going to happen? We remember the box that let them across the Jordan. Remember when the Jordan River parted and the box let them across? And, and remember, remember when the, we heard about Jericho and they, they marched around with the box. Remember when that all happened? And then remember when, 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 when the box melted all the Nazi faces off in the wilderness? <laughs> they know the stories, man. They know the stuff going on, and so they're, they're terrified. And then in the middle of it all, out comes a man on a horse. This is not really in the Bible. It's just my imagination. Out comes a man on a horse. His face is painted white on one side and blue on the other. And he stands before them and says, sons of Philistia, I see before me. And he gets them all, let's fight like men. And they go out in the battlefield that day, and you think, I got the box here. What's going to happen? Now, we know what happens here, but just be in the story here. Verse 10. So, it says, The Philistines fought desperately, but they were no match for God and his people and the Ark of the Covenant. That's what you would expect to hear. The slaughter was great. 30,000 Israelite soldiers died that day. Survivors turned and fled to their tents. The Ark of God was captured. And Phinehas, Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were killed. Wait, what? God, we, we brought you into our lives. We, we brought you into the battlefield. What, what do you? There's craziness. Eli, the high priest, is waiting back at Shiloh where the tabernacle, the cultural and military and, and, and governing structure was at that point in the nation of Israel. And he's waiting there on the roadside to hear what happened. And a messenger comes back and tells him what happened here. Uh, and, and look what happens here. It says, verse 17, the message says, Israel's been defeated by the Philistines. The people have been slaughtered, and your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were also killed, and the ark 
of God has been captured. When the messenger mentioned that what had happened to the ark of God, Eli fell backward from his seat beside the gate. He broke his neck and died. For he was old and overweight. He had been Israel's judge for 42 years. So now you have all the governing structures gone. The box, the holy box of God, the ark of the covenant is gone. Everybody's gone. You think that's as bad as it gets? Just keep reading. It says, Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near her time of delivery. When she heard that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth. She died in childbirth, but before she passed away, the midwives tried to encourage her. Don't be afraid, they said. You have a baby boy. But she did not answer or pay attention to him. She named the child Ichabod, which means, where's the glory? For she said, Israel's glory is gone. She named him this because the ark of God had been captured and because her father-in-law and husband were dead. And then she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. We have no, nothing in our culture, nothing in our, here in, in the West, in democracy, to give us a sense of what that would have felt like for them. The nearest thing you can think of is when we have some big, like when 9-11 happened. You thought, what in the world just had some catastrophic event? Oh, only this would be like the equivalent of on 9-11, if Washington, D.C. gets obliterated out, if, they, they, if all those things happen, all the, the goals of the, that terrorist group had, had been fulfilled, it had been like, whoa, the Capitol's been destroyed, the White House has been destroyed, the president and vice president are dead. They've got the archives, they've, they've, they've stolen the codes to all of our nuclear stuff and all of our military secrets. Everything's gone. The glory of God has left now. And she names the child Ichabod, saying, where's the glory? The glory of God has departed because they think, here's the mistake they made. The ark of God is gone, so now God is gone. And I'm going to tell you here, there's a, a, com, a, a guy who I've read some of his stuff on this. He says it this way. The glory of God had indeed departed, but not because the ark of God had been captured. The ark had been captured because the glory of God had already departed. They had the box. They had the magic box there. God was no, no, no longer there at all. God was no longer present with his people. You might want to, um, you might want to write this down. Uh, it won't be up on the screen. But, but maybe th th say it this way for us here in modern day times, that God often leaves long before we recognize it or feel it. They thought, we got the box. God's on our side. Yeah, we got, we got God. God goes, I was never there. I haven't been there in a long, long time. This can happen for you and me too. We can have our Bibles. We can come to church. We can do all our stuff and go, where is God in our lives? Are we, do, are we paying attention to God? Are we, are... God goes, I've, I've been gone a long time from there. Be super careful about that. And when we do that, when we put God in a box, when we do what Israel did back then, we kind of went along, we kind of did our own life, did our own thing, and just bring God out to, yo, he'll solve it. And, and we, we do everything right. We go to church. We read our Bibles. We pray. We, we start to tithe. We think, come on, I'm even giving money now. And then it doesn't work. We get confused, we get angry, we feel humiliated, we feel this is stupid and dumb. It's over for Israel. They think we're done. 
this whole promise of God that God would make us a great nation and all that, the ark is lost. Look at chapter 5 now. This is where the story can become strange but true. So like Danny said, just watch out. <laughs> After the Philistines captured the ark of God, they took it from the battleground at Ebenezer to the town of Ashdod. They carried the ark of God into the temple of Dagon and placed it beside an idol of Dagon. Let's put that little picture up here on the screen here. This is a, a replica of the, of the god they worshipped. It's a, you can see it's a fish kind of god, I guess, in Zoolander, there was some merman, something like that Danny was telling me. Um, but because it's their, their, their economy, their culture all revolved around the ocean, this is their god, uh, a replica, an idea of what this god or this statue would have looked like in their temple and their icons. They carried the Ark of God in the Temple of Dagon and placed it beside an idol of Dagon. But when... Dagon, that's a good one, we thought about that, Dagon. But when the citizens of Asher went to see it the next morning, Dagon had fallen with his face to the ground in front of the ark of the Lord, Dagon. So they took Dagon and put him in his place again. Any God you can put in his place, any God worth following. We sometimes get the idea of, well, I can control God. I can, any, whenever you start to think, I can control my spirituality, psh, you don't have a real God. You have a figment of your imagination, some personification of some God or goddess that you have put in your own life and made central to you. Put him in his place again, but verse 4. But the next morning, the same thing happened. Dagon had fallen face down before the ark of the Lord again. This time, his head and hands had broken off and were lying in the doorway. Only the trunk of his body was left intact. That is why to this day, neither the priests of Dagon nor anyone who enters the temple of Dagon and Ashdod will step on its threshold. And that's crazy. We're thinking, what in the world is going on here? What's the deal with this box, this ark of God, this God's box? And here's where it gets crazy and weird. It says, Then the Lord's heavy hand struck the people of Ashdod and the nearby villages with a plague of tumors. When the people realized what was happening, they cried out, we can't keep the ark of the God of Israel here any longer. He is against us. We will all be destroyed along with Dagon, our God. So they called together the rulers of the Philistine towns and asked, what should we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They're all freaked out about this. Now, we know from this, we're not quite sure it says they were struck with a plague of tumors. <laughs> Here's where the Bible translators want to be delicate with us because it's, after all, the Bible but the actual word in the Hebrew language is a plague of groin tumors. You is right. Yeah. And we're not, they're not even quite sure what that means. Some of the transliteration of that word in other languages is the word emerod, where we get the word hemorrhoids from. Did God strike him with hemorrhoids or some weird, bizarre, crazy thing going on all around down there and stuff like that? It's kind of gross, disgusting, strange, but true stuff that's going on there. And we know that, as we're going to see here in a bit, uh, that there are rats connected, a plague of rats that comes. So some people think this is some version of like a bubonic plague kind of thing that happens here. Where there's infection and disease that just goes through the town of Ashdod. And so they go, we got to get rid of this. And so they we read the next few verses. We won't read them, but you can see it. They then uh, put the map up here on the screen for me. Uh, it starts down here. You can see over here, up at the top over here, it says Shiloh was where the ark was. It goes to the battlefield, Ebenezer and Aphek. 
comes down and gets captured, and they take it to Ashdod. They go, get rid of it. We don't want it here. So they go, they take it down to Gath. You know what happens in Gath? Plague and rats there, too. We don't want it here either. Let's send it to north, up to Ekron. The people of Ekron know it's coming, and a plague starts to break out there. And they go to Amazon, and they print a return receipt. Return this to sender. We don't want this thing here. But they go, what are we going to do here? Because we've obviously made this God mad. And in their world, they don't understand there's only one God over the universe. They have multiplicity of deities. They go, well, this is the toughest, biggest, baddest God. We've made him mad, so we have to have a sacrifice. We should do something to, to, uh, to, to appease him. Something to, to point out here. Right now, God's people are a joke. Their God is a joke. When they first showed up in in Ashdod and all those places, they go, we are God's bigger than your God. Write this down here. When we don't glorify God, he'll glorify himself. Even when God's people are a joke, even when ridiculous stuff is happening, God goes, I'll get the glory. Even if you're not going to do it, I'll do it myself. Sometimes he goes, I have to because you fools. And so they go, let's, we, we, we have to do something here. we we got to send this ark back. This is not going to go well for us. And then you can read about it yourself. I'm going to summarize it for you uh, and then read kind of what happens here. They said, we have to send it back on a cart, send it, the whole thing back and put it on a cart to send it back. But we need to, get, make, we need to bring something gold or, or valuable here. And so they, online, just watch for a second. I'll be right back. It says they they make... They, they make five gold rats, since rats were connected. Five, because that was the number of the significant Philistine towns and the number of their, their key, five key leaders they have. They make five rat, gold rats, and they put them on the cart with God's box, with the ark. And then, here's where it gets strange but true. Then they make models of the tumors. Disgusting, huh? I have no idea why they would do this. It was probably part of their, they think, well, this is how God, maybe we have to do something. Solid gold stuff, probably pretty big size. And they put them on the ark with everything. On the, so not on the ark, but on the cart with the ark. And they go get two mama cows who have just given birth and have little calves. And they say, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put the mama cows, attach them to the cart, and put them on the road heading back to Israel. We're going to leave their baby cows, little calves, back in the pen back here. Now, mamas, you know, if your babies are that direction and they start saying, wait, what are you going to do? You're not going that direction. They said, but if those cows go straight on towards Israel and don't try to turn around and come back, then, then we'll know this was God and not just some weird uh, coincidence. And so look now at verses... Chapter 6, verse 10. So, so these instructions were carried out. Two cows were hitched up to the cart, and their newborn calves were shut up in a pen. Then the ark of the Lord and the chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors were placed on the cart. And sure enough, without veering off in another direction, the cows went straight along the road toward Beth Shemesh, lowing as they went. You know why they're lowing? They're mooing. They don't want to go. 
everything in them wants to turn around, but they were being driven on. God was against their will, driving them to take this ark back there to make a, send a clear sign to the Philistines of the God they were dealing with. Since the Philistine rulers followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh, that's the place where the ark is going to be. And that's the story. We're going to pick up the story next week with what happens when the ark, the, it's not hashtag lost ark, it'll be hashtag found ark. You can read about that. At the bottom of your note sheet, every week we give you what's coming up next week. Read about what happens when the ark comes back. And you're going to think, oh, it's going to be awesome and joy and celebration. There's certainly a lot of that. There's also some really bizarre twists and turns, disturbing stuff that happens. Go read about it before you get here next weekend. The big question that comes today as we talk about this, okay, it's a very crazy, strange, but true story. So what's the point, Steve? A magic box, rats and roids, goldmans, like what? What's the point of us today? Here's the thing that I think we have to think about today, how the story impacts us today, is just like the people of Israel back then, the modern day parallel is we can often put God, maybe not in a box like this, but we'll put God over there on the side. Put God in a box over there or God over the box and we'll go to church and we'll join groups. We'll do a lot of religious spiritual stuff and then we tell God, hey, you just stay put and let us live our lives the way we want to live our lives. When it comes to money, when it comes to sex and sexuality, when it comes to forgiveness and relations, when it comes to parenting and marriage, God, you do your stuff. And then, of course, when all hell breaks loose, God! Come and help me. And then we'll shake our fist defiantly at God. Why, well, God, God, you've been ignoring me all over the time. And we resort to religious games. We resort to rabbit foot theology of good luck charms. And we think God is like this secret code. We can, we can hack him. Well, guys, we have an unhackable God. You cannot put him. We do this all the time. We think there's a secret code or formula. We think, okay, God, here's what religion tells to tell us to do. Every religion except the way of Jesus will tell you, Here's how you get God on your side. Boom, boom, boom. Do the checklist. You do the checklist. You jump through all the hoops. And now God has to do this for you. Because you've done everything right. And, and again, guys, we, we, can be, we can look at the, the people of Israel back then and go, all oh, those stupid people back then. We do the same thing today. Like even things like church and small groups that we do here. And, and serving and giving and all that. The question today is, why are we doing that? Are we doing that because we just love God and want to serve God? Or are we trying to put God in our debt? Do we think somehow if I do all the right things and then either a cool thing could happen for me and because I've done all the right things, God, now you have to come through for me, or all hell breaks loose with my marriage or my health or my money and I boom, 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 come on, God. And what we do then is we put God in a box. And leave him over off on the side and just trot him out whenever we need him. Here's, here's the tendencies. Here's how you'll know things we can pay attention to today when it comes to putting God in a box. Here's what we want. We want symbols and slogans with no substance. When God's in a box, we want this, the symbols and substance, excuse me, want the symbols and the slogans of a relationship with God, but no real substantive, heartfelt, honest relationship with God. Uh, and hmm, 
We here at Crosspoint Church, we love our country. I love that it says on our money and our pledge that we are one nation under God, that says on our money, in God we trust. But if we're not careful, we start to think, well, what's on our money? We have a little symbol or a slogan. Is it really true? Is it really true? And forget about America itself. Just think about God's people who show up in churches every week. Do we really trust in God with every part of our life? Guys, we can do things like get baptized. We can have a beautiful Bible and have our name inscribed on it, have a family Bible carried out on the coffee table and go, we have a Bible in our house. We have, in some religions, they have ceremonies that they do. They have beads and things like that that you use and all that. And look, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with the ceremony. nothing wrong with the Bible. Nothing wrong with in God we trust and God bless America. All that stuff, nothing wrong with it. If we're not careful, we mistake the symbols for the substance and think we're okay with God. Uh, it's even uh, the, the thing here. I, I didn't look around today and didn't check as you guys all came in. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But a lot of us have crosses as jewelry. A necklace, earrings. Some of us have a cross tattooed on the thigh or on the forearm, something like that. We have cross icons. We have street displayed in our church all over the place. We have them in our house. And if we're not careful, guys, we can start to mistake the thing that, oh, we have the cross. And it's posted everywhere. It's displayed everywhere. Can I tell you right now, as kindly as I can, Jesus doesn't care about displaying the cross. He cares about us carrying it. He cares about us saying, look, the way of Jesus is not to think, okay, I've got a cross on. I've got a thing on it. And nothing wrong with it. Look, make sure you don't hear this here. I'm not, there's nothing wrong with having a cross. Nothing wrong with having a cross on a steeple. We've had crosses up here on our stage. Nothing wrong with any of that. But if we're not careful, we start to think, that, oh, we got the cross and all we have is the, the box. There's no substance. There's no reality to it. Another sign that we, a tendency that we have when God goes in our box, we have a God of a box and not a God of substance and reality, is we, get, we want God's goods, but not God. When God bless my life, I want a good marriage. I want healthy kids. I want a good job. I want health. And I, want, I, want God, I want the blessings of all this. I heard a guy say it this way years and years ago. Uh, the, other, the third thing to write down here is we want the benefits of the kingdom without a king. We want the benefits of God's kingdom without the king. In other words, God, you stay over there. You, here's what we want. We want a consultant, not a king. We want a consultant. We can go speed down and go, God, get over here. And at some point, you know who God is in that relationship? You are. You have made now yourself the God of your life, and you are beckoning a deity to come over here, utilitarian deity to get over here and help you. What God says is, I'm the king. I'm king over all. I don't work for you. I don't work for you. We try to pin God in a corner, twist his arm, and see, see what we've done, this, this religious checklist of spirituality that we do, and think whenever we need God's blessing or God's help or rescue, we can just do this and we can snap our fingers and look, I did all my right stuff. Now, God, you have to do this for me. Some questions that we should wrestle with today. First question is this, will I glorify God or just use him? The truth is when we have God the box, we don't want to submit to God. We just want him to be useful for us. And some of you are going, what does it mean to glorify God? Like shine a light on him, glorify Here's what it means to glorify God. It means this. 
It means that God is not my consultant. Because my consultant, you know what my consultant does? When my kids are making me crazy, when my wife is making me crazy, it never happens for me, but <laughs> when, when there's trouble in my life, I go get God to come over and help with that part of my life. I don't need your help, and I don't need your involvement in all this other stuff out here. I kind of got that. And God goes, yeah, but I'm not a consultant. I'm your king. And you know what a king is? King reigns over it all. King has it all. Every bit of your life, your work, your kids, your sexuality, your money, your power, your everything, he's king over it all. And the second we start to treat God the God of the box, then we've missed the point. Here's the other thing, too. Will I obey God or just obligate him? I've been good. I did all the right things. Man, I, I started coming to church. I started giving. I started serving. I, started, I did all this stuff to get, get things right and go, God, come on, now you owe me. And God goes, I don't owe you anything. See, here's the deal. In the Western church today, we used to sing songs, and we do, we're better at this than most churches are, I think. I hope. I've got to be careful. I don't want to duck and get struck by lightning here. But, but our, our song should be, God, thou art worthy. And you know what the song of the Western churches today is? Not God, thou art worthy. It's God, thou art useful. And if you're not useful to me, I'm done with you. And here's the deal, guys. Until God is worthy, until I recognize he's central and king, he's not going to be any use to you at all anyway. He becomes some silly little thing, figment of your imagination that's of no use to you. When we follow God, we're going to sing some songs about this today, about we call on God and, God, I need you now. Look, I'm telling you, guys, when you have a problem, God will solve it. But he's saying, look, don't just trot me out once in a while. He said, when I'm central to your life, every part of your life you bring to me, uh, what, 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 to difficult things going on or challenging things going on or things you want me to do for you and bless you and help you, ask me about that. Help me with that. But when we try to do this game, we push them off on the side. God goes, I'm not going to play that game. I'm not going to play that game with you. And for a while, what will happen is we'll think, well, we're doing okay with this because once in a while, we're playing games with God and then we snap our fingers and God comes and answers. He's a gracious God. Here's what it is. <laughs> Parents with kids. A lot of times, if your kids are being in a putz, I know it never happens for your kids. They're just being whatever and then they want you to do something for them. If you're a good dad or a good mom, all right, I'm going to help them. I'm going to help them, but at some point, don't you get tired of like, man, they're just jerks to me all the time, and all they need me for is when I snap my fingers. And we can look at kids and go, these dumb kids today, and God's going, my, my dumb kids today. Like, we just trot God out for that. This is a longer fill in the blank, so leave this one up for a bit here so people can write it down. God will humble us and humiliate himself rather than let us play that game. You see what happened that day on the battlefield? As the people of the Philistines, this godless, evil, wretched people, got the box. You know what they thought? God's people, they thought they were so tough and cool. You're a joke. And you know what I think about? Because you're a joke, you know what I think about your God? Your God's a joke. And God let them think that. God let them think that for a while. Here's the deal, too. God would rather be feared than used. That day on the battlefield, he had people who had all the icons, had a, had a 
at a tabernacle, on a temple. They had sacrificial systems and holidays all revolved around their relationship with God. But there was really no relationship with God right now. And he says, look, if you're just going to make me useful, I'm going to let myself be humiliated. I'm going to send myself to some people who will learn what it means to fear me. And then the story will come back. (laughs) As the ark comes back with all this stuff on it and they hear the story of the plagues, he does that for the Philistines. He also does for the people of Israel, for God's people to say, hey, I am not a God you can just trot out whenever you think you just need me. Strange but true story today. Here's where we take this home. For some of us today, we get to get God out of the box. And for some of us, that means you've got to become a Christian. God's over there on the side in your life, and you try once in a while go, God, I help. I'm, I'm some crazy thing going on. God goes, hey, make your whole life about me. Make me not consultant to your life. Make me a king. Surrender your whole life to me. If that's you today, man, we don't talk to you about what it means to become a Christian and say yes to Jesus and let him not just be something on the side in your life, but your whole life revolves around him. And then we need to also recognize that for us, the tendency we have as followers of Christ is this tendency to keep putting God off on the side. We need to get God out of the box and we need to keep God out of the box. Recognize God wants to be involved in every single part of our lives because he loves us. He's got help for us, and he knows the second you guys can run your own life yourself or run your life by the culture systems around you, you're going to make a mess out of it again. So he says, come on, keep me central. And we need to watch out for symbols without substance. Watch out for symbols without substance. And what that means is let's make our life be all about glorifying God, which means God, here's what it is, what glorifying God means, God, all my life for all of you. All my life, every part of my life, for my whole life, for all of you. I want you to be involved and enmeshed in every single part of it. Anything else is just a trivial, silly little God that's of no use to you really at all anyway. And then what I do too is <laughs> we want to make much of Jesus and make much of God and not make a whole lot of ourselves. To recognize God's God and we're not. And what that means is, guys, we... We come before God with reverence and fear and with joy. We're going to talk a lot about that next week, so read ahead and see all about how those two things mix together of sober mind and reverence and even fear of God with great joy and exuberance and love. Those things all work together. We'll talk about that some more next week. But one of the ways we do this here at Crosspoint is we sing every week. Take some time before I start, we do the message, and after, we sing some songs together. And uh, (laughs) from time to time, Uh, People will come to me. I've even thought it. People have come to me and said, Steve, I I didn't like that song today. And my response is always, well, that's okay because it wasn't for you. (laughs) We weren't singing to you. And if the song's about Jesus lifting God up, it doesn't matter if you like the rhythm or the lyrics. Oh, my gosh, that was by Hillsong or Bethel or whoever. Stop it. It's not about any of that stuff. Our whole deal is we're making much of God, and the way we do that here, we don't do songs just because churches do songs. We do songs to make our heart with a God who's bigger than us and amazing than us, a God who can be really useful to us when we worship him. The band's going to come up now. We're going to put this stuff away. This is disturbing. Oops. Anybody want one?
like the Padre games. Reverence and worship. The rats might hurt you. They're a little sharp. So We're going to sing now. So sing with all your heart and all your soul. Make much of Jesus today. You may have come in today with problems in your life. You may have walked into church today going, God, I got a problem. Yo, I hope you'll solve it. And God wants to be there for us. So go back there and talk to the people on that prayer team. And they're in the back of the house. If you're newer with us, just wander back there. The lights are going to go down. You can wander back there and just talk with them for a bit. Let them pray with you and pray for you about that. And then we, get, we do communion every week here too. Communion is a symbol of the body and the blood of Jesus when he was crucified 2,000 years ago. And Jesus told us, he said, I want you to take bread and juice on a regular basis. And eat and drink that to remember me. But here's what we have to be careful. Maybe a little thing to take some time with today on this. If we're not careful, we can do a lot of religious, spiritual stuff. There's nothing wrong with it. But after a while, it becomes kind of like, okay, we do the song. I heard Steve yell at us for 45 minutes. Now we go sing these songs. And at some point, get up and we'll get a little snack. Boom, boom, boom. No. We got to be careful with that. Because what we do a lot in repetition can start to lose its significance. So maybe today, take a moment there, whether you stand right there at the communion tables in the four corners of the room, or, or you bring it back to your seat. And take a moment to reflect on how amazing our God is that on, here on Father's Day weekend, we have a Father who loved us so much. They let his own son come and be the sacrifice for our sins so that we be, could become sons and daughters of God. And so God, today, we don't want it to be, I don't want it to be just words on a screen or words we just kind of sing. God, get our hearts. God, we don't want you in the box. If, the, if you've been in the box, we want you out of the box and involved in every part of our life. So God, today, these next few minutes, just do the work that you need to do as we sing to you and about you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.